Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on where you're tuning in from, and welcome to INE Live. I am your host, Jack Reedy, the Director of Cybersecurity Content, and today is Tech Tuesday here at INE. We are thrilled to be here today answering your questions about all things in the cloud environment. With me, I have two of our incredible cloud experts here with us today, Mike Pfeiffer and Brooke Seahorn, and I'll introduce them in just a moment. First, as we do each time we stream on INE Live, I would like to let you know we are streaming live across a multitude of social media platforms right now. LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch, just to name a couple. Because this week, we have expanded to include the Pentester Academy and Cloud Skills communities as well. So, welcome to the show, and please be sure to like and subscribe on your social platform of choice. You can stay in the loop whenever we go live. Also. We want you to get involved, talk to us, talk to others. Please join the community, say what's on your mind. Our team is monitoring the chat, so if you have any comments you'd like to drop in, feel free to throw them in at any time. If you have any questions, just throw a cue in front of it at the beginning so we can find those easily and they can send them over to me. Um, we'll get to as many as we absolutely can today. So excited to be here with you and continuing to be value added. With that, I'm gonna go ahead and bring in today's panel of experts. First off, we have our Director of Cloud Technology Content, Mike Pfeiffer. Mike, welcome. It is definitely a pleasure to have you back. How are you doing today? Hey, Jack, super excited to be back and uh, quite a pleasure for me as well. I'm super pumped to be here with everybody. And like you said, I, uh, I'm really looking forward to the conversation and maybe getting some comments from the people watching and uh, hearing what Brooks has to say. But yeah, for everybody that's out there, maybe uh, from the cloud skills community, Welcome to INE, and uh, you know, been live streaming a lot here with the team at INE, and we're going to be continuing to do that. So, you know, if you're subscribed to the Cloud Skills YouTube channel, we'd like you to like and subscribe here on INE and uh, follow along because we're going to be live streaming a lot, talking about cloud and security and networking, all kinds of cool stuff. So, um, super excited to be here. Thanks, Jack, for the intro, and um, thanks everybody from Cloud Skills and everywhere else from joining the stream today. I'm so excited to be continuing this and the growth of our community as we go and, you know, moving on in our training and being able to make sure that this is accessible to everyone. With that as well, I also want to bring in our next, our senior cloud technologist at INE, Brooks Seahorn. Hey, Brooks, how are you doing today? Oh, man, doing just fine. If my froggy voice is giving me away, yeah, that's proof. Yeah, I'm not feeling that good. I'm fighting a cold, but I'm so excited to be here today because what the whole subject of security in the cloud is just so interesting. It's just so much fun, and it's a lot of people who start looking at it kind of miss the 101s of doing security in the cloud, and I'm hoping that's something we can sort of illuminate today and bring back to the community. So again, reiterating what Mike said as well, if you're new to this, if you're new to our community, absolutely reach out, ask us questions, get involved, because one of the things that we can do here at INE beyond just, you know, here's the technicals, we can also give you the a, a sort of a value add of experience. What's really happening in the cloud? What's actually happening out there? And what do you need to do to make sure that you're really differentiating yourself in the marketplace? Absolutely. Hey, th thank you so much, Brooks, for joining us as always. And, you know, I think a little bit of us, it's that time of year, right? We're all a little oh, bit yeah. froggy here and there. It's, it comes mm -hmm. and goes, but you know, that's the beauty of doing the live show. <laughs> so, um, I mean, today we're going to be talking about cloud. We're going to be talking about security. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And in, in that, actually, Brooks, I'm going to kick it over to you. And I'm going to ask you right off the bat, what are the common misconceptions regarding the blend of cybersecurity processes and cloud mm. architecture? Talking yeah. about the fundamentals. What are companies mm -hmm. getting wrong and what are they getting right? 
first of all, you know, the, the thing on that, Jack, that really has got me, you know, and I've worked with probably 80 plus different companies out there when it comes to cloud, particularly with AWS. And it just seems like that the, the, we are getting the 101s wrong. For example, what does it really mean to be a pen trust tester? How do we pen test correctly? People jump straight into cloud technology and they miss those 101s that you need to be learning. For example, um, the things, sort of things you learned if you got the e, uh, EJPT and I think the CPPT certifications, that low level knowledge, just because you're in the cloud, that stuff doesn't go away. It's still there. It's just you have sort of a rented infrastructure that you're running on. The same skills, the same technologies, the same approaches apply. So make sure you've got those, those 101 skills. Also, <clears throat> and this is uh, this is sort of a fun thing I've always noticed myself, it changes the culture when you go to the cloud when it comes to security. Jack, I used to tell people this all the time. Like, If I was in a big room, I'd say there's like 300 people in there and I was up on stage and I would say just kind of, you know, real innocently, I'd say, who all here is in security? And you'd see a couple of hands go up and then I would say, okay, who all here is in security? And then eventually everybody goes, okay, yeah, everybody's hands go up. We have to take this approach when you go to the cloud. Everyone has to be in security from this point on because there's so many things that you can get wrong when you're able to accelerate your deployments of workloads much faster by using cloud technologies. Like one of the things that uh, AWS likes to say, and actually all the cloud providers like to say is you can go global in minutes. Well, from the security team, there's a major problem. You can go global in minutes, which means that suddenly the security team is scrambling to find out what is going on, what's happening, where is this going, what are the local rules, what all these sorts of things. When that happens, it's too late for the security team because now you're starting to stop the whole process from moving forward. You're going to get blamed for slowing down velocity, and the list goes on and on. Security has to shift left when you go to the cloud. It has to become job zero. There's actually, um, and Mike, you're gonna, you're gonna know who I'm talking about, so don't, don't say the name of the company, but there is a <laughs> company that I went to, <clears throat> let me get a sip of water real quick so I can tell the story. They used to have a security office in this beautiful, uh, really, really cool office they had. And uh, I think it happened about a year before I got there, they actually closed the security office and all the security people were like, are we losing our jobs? And their CIO said, no, no, no. You just can't sit in there anymore. You have to sit out here with the development team, with the database team. And they literally, and it's, it's sometimes I wonder, Jack, if they got the idea from the military and reporters and say, Look, you're going to embed. You're going to mm -hmm. be on the developers team, the security team. And it's that kind of 101 stuff. And, and, and this, I haven't said this before. This is the first time I'm going to say this out loud. Um, I can tell you this, if you look at the companies that are doing fantastic in the cloud when it comes to security and those that are falling behind, it looks like an inverted sine wave. It literally like, let me just get my finger here so everybody can see. Oh, thank you. So it goes, you know, starting over here with not doing so well, it looks like this, it goes down, it stays flat and it jumps back up. What I have noticed is this, the companies that are doing best are accelerating away. They're getting better and better and better. And the teams that are, are the companies that are not doing well when it comes to cloud security, they're falling behind. And one of the quintessential elements is the fact that they've said security is job zero and we're going to embed into those teams <clears throat> by taking that. And to keep in mind, we've been talking about this for years. We talk about the fact that why are we siloing? 
Why is the database team here? Why are the developers here? Why is this and this? Security has to be the same way. And it's such a simple thing. It's such a one-on-one thing to say, look, do the basics. Embed with all the other teams, security team. So as things roll forward, you're part of that. And I was wondering, Mike, you know, in your experience working with different teams, have you seen anybody who's done that? And kind of like what was their uh, experience doing things like that? Yep, absolutely. I think um, what I've noticed over the last couple of years working with teams is it's been it's been an evolution and kind of like mm -hmm. learning process, right? Because the cloud fundamental stuff is is something that kept enterprises especially uh, challenged just to figure out, hey, how do we map stuff we know on prem over here mm -hmm. to do compute and storage and all these things? And it's almost like in the early days, the security was an afterthought, just to your point. And I think exactly. now, now it's starting to mature and people are realizing that this really is like a security first almost conversation, right? Like you're right. Um, you can really get yourself into a lot of trouble. And I used to see that all the time when I would go into an enterprise and they would just kind of like started going without any kind of plan. Next thing you know, not only are you spending too much money, but you're like just leaving stuff open because it, it just out of ignorance because you just don't know yet. Right. So mm -hmm. I would really echo what you said is that. I think there's still a lot of companies that are just getting their legs under them. And on the advanced side, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in the cloud security space, I think as a practitioner uh, for individuals, right? And this is a really interesting space to be in because sometimes it could get kind of like, when you're working in, in cloud, it can start to feel like, geez, do I need to be a programmer? Do I need to like write all this code and do all this, you know, building apps and everything? Right. And there's awareness right. that needs to be there. But I think that that security space is a really interesting spot for a lot of people because mm -hmm. I mean, it's so paramount and we've all seen the, uh, like the exposés and like the news stories of somebody leaving something open mm -hmm. and they're exposed and now they're on the news, right? Nobody wants to be that organization. So yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. You know, I, I used to, I used to, I used to say the whole thing about if you want to see a company that needs some help, look for those open public S3 buckets, because that is such a one one thing. People get that messed up. And then the security teams running to catch up. I mean, I'm talking about real war horses that on prem really knew what they were doing. Going to yeah. the cloud. Yeah. Get those feet under you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I can talk about, you know, the instant response parts in the cloud. And one of the most difficult things, I don't know if you guys have familiar, familiarity with this when you're doing the response or you're trying to figure out where these incidents are, is just the basics of ownership. Who is actually mm -hmm. managing this particular instance in this environment, mm -hmm. in this part of the cloud? When you have over 2,000 devs that are globally spread across, who owns that particular API that's we're all of a sudden catching in the U, running in the UK when we thought it was centralized to the agent, you know, that particular area. Mm -hmm. So uh, kind of touching on that, what would you guys say is, would you say there's a greater need to adhere to the fundamentals or do you think that the automation that's built into a lot of these cloud platforms has got it taken care of for us? Well, I'll jump in. I don't think that it's definitely take, I think from a platform security perspective, the clouds vendors have done a good job of, Hey, here's how you do network security. Here's all these, you know, firewalls and VPN stuff. And now, you know, the last couple of years, there's other services that are really nice and complementary that are getting layered on top. But mm -hmm. I don't think that, um, you know, every scenario is going to be covered depending on the organization's goals. So I definitely don't want to put out a message of, yeah, like it's it's solid and ready to go in every scenario. There might be times where you need to, as an organization, leverage some kind of third party technology, um, depending on your goals and all that kind of stuff. So it is getting better. Um, and one of the things, Jack, that I think 
um, I've noticed a lot is that the cybersecurity kind of mindset and the things that you guys really focus on um, might not be something that, especially like in our community of cloud skills, we're always so focused over the last couple of years on just the basic security and, and the engineering side. I don't think that, I think there's a big segment of IT people that don't really understand what goes into cybersecurity and, you know, red teaming and blue teaming and, and a lot of those considerations. And I think that we're just now starting to get into that. And there's other services that are starting to pop up, you know, especially the stuff that helps you manage policy and compliance. That always, doesn't always seem like a security thing, but, you know, when you don't get your policies right, kind of like Brooks touched on this a little bit earlier, you know, you've got a policy that's too permissive. Next thing you know, <laughs> you're on the news, right? For some kind of data leak or whatever. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that the whole cybersecurity space, Jack, is um, something that a lot of cloud technologists don't have a lot of awareness in. Right. Well, that's a really good point. Now, to that point, though, do you think that it's, I mean, Brooks, you talked about embedding the security team with the cloud. And I will tell you that I had open access door to the cloud team. Like mm -hmm. I, they were some of my, you know, best friends after work. I, like I really went, I had no problem walking into the cloud at any given point in time, CCing them on emails or, you know, full transparency walking into that team. And I think that that's where I had a lot of success, even though I still am reporting difficulties. Like I, I'm like, mm -hmm. I consider my experience to be a success story and still reporting difficulties because it's, an, you know, it's an evolving technology. Right. Having said that, starting at ground zero and you know removing the doors and putting them embedding them directly in the cloud mm -hmm. security um you know spear or i'm sorry in the cloud administration teams where do you think the job role of a cloud security architect or a um, cloud security engineer exists do you think that that's just a boutique type of item or do you think that there is a serious place as we move forward in this job skills path for that mm -hmm. individual Oh, it's it's very serious. And the thing is, is that it's it's evolving and it complements what's going on there. It's not a negative. Security has been viewed by so many people for so long as a negative thing. And if it's a negative thing, you're probably doing it wrong, which is why, Jack, when you say it was a positive experience, because, you know, if I'm like right now, I'm learning Rust and I can see where I can make some big mistakes with my applications. Jack, I want you to catch it early, man. I want you real early to say that's broken, man. I don't want it to get to, I don't even want to get to testing. I don't want to be embarrassed by that. So I would say for anybody who's really interested in this, you, you know, you've really, you're looking at an amazing evolving career to be in right now where you can sit out there, you're with those teams and you can specialize. You can really specialize. You can sit with the developers. You can sit with the database folks. You can sit with the networking folks. Um, I think one of the most interesting conversations I had uh, right before I went to Amazon was with an old warhorse security guy. <clears throat> and he did not like the idea of taking his stuff to the cloud. He's like, this isn't going to work and da 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 security. Rrr. But then once you explain to somebody like that, hey, you're going to own the templates that create the policies. There's not going to be a book. I was looking for a book. Yeah, like there's not going to be a book where they're going to like type in stuff. You're going to give them a template and say, this is the thing that you're going to implement in the cloud. They have complete control over security at that point, unless somebody is clicking around. They have complete control over the environment. Um, there's actually a major airline. They went as far as to do this. <clears throat> the infrastructure templates, because they use infrastructure as code. Mm -hmm. It was all in Terraform. It's owned by security. 
It is not owned by networking. It's not, it's security owns that stuff. And they're the ones who say, this is what you use. This is what you do not use. And then that way they're sure that what's rolling out is going to comply to everything that's in their compliance package. So you can see where that role, you know, talking about Mike, you know, uh, Jack, where that sort of thing, that role is just going to get bigger and bigger and more important and more important. But, but it's going to require a lot of study, a lot of passion, a lot of really getting behind the wheel and finding out how this stuff works. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mike, I mean, what are your thoughts there when it comes to the that particular role? Yeah, I really agree. I think that that's going to be a specialty thing. I think what's happening right now is, you know, cloud engineer is kind of like an umbrella where an organization just like, geez, man, we're trying to figure this cloud stuff out. So we're going to hire a cloud engineer, maybe an architect, right, at a bigger organization to like really design things. But security needs to be on all those layers. And I think what we'll eventually see as the uh, industry matures and as we collectively grow our skills in this evolution, you know, there will be people the priority is right where um and actually off the top of my head i just remembered a friend of mine who works for a very large consulting company that's just building a team for cloud security and focus on that completely yeah i think it's it's like <clears throat> excuse me it's already happening and i think that long term like that's going to be a thing you're not going to think about oh, i want to be a cloud engineer you might say hey i'm going to be uh, a, a cloud security expert right or of some kind and um and i think what will happen too as we keep getting deeper into this there will be <clears throat> like specializations in security for you know governance and security for networking right. so yeah man i think um mm-hmm. i think this is very early days and i think the opportunity is just freaking massive for everybody that's oh, out there watching yeah. yeah uh yeah so i mean i'm kind of glad that you talked a little bit about the governance and the data because i was going to bring up the idealism that i'm, I'm really trying to enforce as we do some of these, um, you know, because we, we, we know that we're working on um, hybrid courseware between us, you know, with security and cloud-focused mm-hmm. security, things like that. One of the things that I've always tried to enforce there, or, you know, make sure that we're saying a lot is the importance of knowing what your data is and where it's being stored in the cloud. Can you talk about that as well as some of the considerations regarding the um, GRC, so the governance, risk, and compliance considerations, because, for example, storing data in Germany versus storing data in California versus storing data regionally in you know Virginia, be it whatever cloud provider you have, is going to mean multitude of different things regarding your business impact, right? Very true. I guess the, the one thing that just pops into my head on that that's awesome, though, is that now as an organization, especially a global brand or global kind of company, you can pick thanks to like these gigantic global, you know, configurations and all these cloud platforms, I can decide, oh, I need to make sure that I store my data in Germany and it never leaves there. And since that's your idea and it's you doing it, the cloud platforms won't change that. So that's one of the good things is like, once you understand kind of the architecture and the layout and Brooks kind of talked about it earlier, being able to go global in minutes, I mean, that's a real big thing. I know, <laughs> and you guys probably experienced it too, you know, earlier in your career, before there was cloud, it was much harder, like doing actual real data centers and, and this kind of thing. So it opens up um, some really interesting scenarios. And now we've got things that, you know, and, and Brooks, I know that you're, you're obviously a big AWS expert. And I know that back in the day, you know, one of the things that we always work on was just the communication across regions, right? Like security. Right. That. That's kind of like, just, that's something you can kind of almost automatically do now, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So anyway, you can do it yeah. and it can get away from you like that too. It, exactly. It's, um, <laughs> yep. you know, it's like, uh, I was listening to uh, Brian McGann do a, t uh, do a boot camp once. And this is what I'm talking about. You know, going back to the beginning of our conversations about the whole one one thing, when you're talking about a global scale out and you're running things across the globe, um, we need cloud people like me need security people who can stop me from doing really silly things. Cause I had never heard the implication of a particular, uh, encryption protocol on the wire and how you needed to be careful about which one you were saying. Everybody look, Jack's doing this. You can see he's like, mm -hmm. uh, huh, which one right. you're picking depending on where you are in the world, because there's some governance about it. And I was like, what the heck? I y'all I've been at AWS for, I was at AWS for years. I was with the DOD for years. That is the first time I heard that. And I was, I was stunned to hear yeah. it, but it, you know, it even goes to things like, um, like you were talking, uh, Mike about, you know, the a security person needs to know where the data can be stored and where it cannot be stored and making sure that silly things don't happen. I keep telling the story about, uh, there's a bank up the road, international bank and they were going to deploy over into germany the problem was that their data analysis tools were sitting in ohio mm -hmm. and they were about to export all that data over to ohio which would have been it would have been a, a fine there would have been a fine with the uh, gdpr and it would have been quite big so that's what i'm saying when these security people when you come to the cloud don't think for a second that you're like getting in people's way. You can actually save us from making huge mistakes. So again, knowing the basics, the the low level things, and then being able to implement that in the cloud is huge. Yeah, totally <laughs> there's agree. one thing I wanted to pick back on there, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, is, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's easy to, um, and this this could be a trap, right? So this is kind of the other side of the coin, where you're like, oh, I can just now pick whatever region to store my data and trust that the platform is going to do encryption at rest, encryption over the wire, and I know that's going to be there, but that can also make you complacent as an organization and then stop thinking about your responsibility. And, and Brooks and I have spent a lot of time, and you probably too, Jack, of, with the cloud stuff of shared responsibility when it comes to security. You really have to own that on your side to know what are those scenarios where I could get exposed, right? So, you know, I think there's a huge benefit to being able to do things globally and use services that we've never really had access to before. But at the end of the day, you can't punt your own personal responsibilities and it's on you as an individual and as an organization to figure out what those potential exposure points are. So it's absolutely. very interesting. It's a kind of a dance in a way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it, it really, it really is. And the, I think the surprising thing that a lot of people would be at least new to the environment would be surprised by is the amount of terms of service that you agree to whenever you log in and sign up to these organizations yes. that very explicitly state, we are not responsible for these misconfigurations, right? Um, which means that you, you're right in your, uh, example that you gave there, Brooks, they would have caught a fine because they were, yeah. you know, they were the ones that were, uh, violating the law in there. And just because there's not an automated control that prevents them from doing that, though, we all know that you're not supposed to right? it, the obviously AWS or Azure is not going to be held responsible or liable at, for their choice in their configuration, their storage, or the movement of mm -hmm. their data. Mm -hmm. Talking about that. And you, I mean, you mean you talked about encryption at rest and Real quickly, I want to hit a comment from uh, Daniel. With the evolution of tech and cloud security requiring the IT professional to constantly maintain education to stay caught up, there is also a need for cybersecurity team to be involved in the design build process with business owners, facility operations, mm -hmm. and employee onboarding because those people aren't generally tech oriented and cyber threats are only going to grow. 
Not to mention future cybersecurity requirements that insurance companies will demand as the threat and liability exposure grows. Now, I'm not going to dive yes. into uh, cyber insurance mm-hmm. right now. It's not that it's not part of the uh, <laughs> Oh, come on. The show. You don't have four hours? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Um, however, I am going to, one, wonderful comment, but two, I'm also yeah. going to mention and ask, With we've been talking about the fundamentals. We've been talking about how we need to get security in part of being in the cloud and you know we kind of touched on this previously where we said how much coding is actually there as an administrator that you don't expect mm-hmm. how important and do you see again another job role that's kind of it seems boutique but what is the viability of DevSecOps individuals in the cloud environment are they important and do you see growth mm-hmm. in that career field as well 100 uh, percent. yeah uh, i mean uh, i didn't mean to cut you off there brooks but I'll chime my two cents and then Brooks can go. Um, I was just going to say absolutely 100% because everything that we're doing in tech is kind of leading us to a, to learn the patterns of software development, right? And the way that software gets deployed these days in a very successful way is through continuous delivery. And it's all pipelines, right? So if you're doing things that is going to allow your organization to go really, really fast, which is what, what everybody wants so they can compete in the marketplace, you're going to need to adopt those patterns. And the point that was made in the previous comment is right there. As you dive into these new ways of doing things and going faster, right, you're um, opening your potential for exposure. So security in that pipeline process of, you know, knowing the way that the developers work on code, just understanding the framework, right? Not not like, oh, I need to be a computer science master's, you know, graduate, but understanding that, hey, when code gets checked in, um, whether it's infrastructure code or we're building an app, right? We need to look and see if there's any libraries that might be used that maybe have vulnerabilities that have been identified. We need to scan code and make sure that we're not going to put anything out that, you know, so there's, there's a whole, there's a whole like rabbit hole <laughs> of that. And, uh, but I think the good news is like, you don't have to be a programmer. You can take your security skills into that framework. And just like it was said a minute ago, understand what is the right questions we need to be asking not that i need to know rust in any depth like rooks right i can't maybe i can't keep up with that but my passion is security right so i absolutely think that for anybody that's like geez i don't want to become a programmer (laughs) like the security space is awesome because you should know what programmers are doing and how they build apps but it could be your job to make sure that because the biggest thing with devs and i bet brooks would agree with this um, and probably Jack too, right? Is they're worried about building the app and they're not so much thinking about the security because that's always the hardest part of building an app. That's right. I saw a meme go by the other day where it's like, you know, it's always fun to build an app until like you got to do the auth piece, right? And it's just like <laughs> a disaster, right? And so then, then it doesn't become fun. So anyways, yeah, I think that's kind of how I look at it. I think the DevSecOps space, whatever that role ends up being called, massive huge opportunity and probably one of the uh, most important so with that what do you think brooks oh absolutely you know and it's funny to me because you know from the gray i've been doing this a little while i remember us having conversations like this back in 2003 2004 which was hey i'm a network administrator but i'm starting to feel like i need to learn how to do some coding or some scripting or something like that and the cloud has just really pushed that forward because now with infrastructure as code with things like Terraform, or if you're an AWS CloudFormation, um, that's it's code. 
uh, it's JSON. It's easy to read, or maybe it's YAML. It's easy to read. But the fact is, is that you're just going to see more and more of other things like really simple Python scripts that allow you to automate in the cloud the things like doing remediation, checking for vulnerabilities. It's going to be part of your scene, the whole security incident uh, event management. That sort of thing will be there. So I don't think in any way, shape, or form, any time would be lost on your skills if you took some time to learn, like Mike was saying, how do coders work, understanding a CI/CD pipeline, understanding DevOps, but then getting your hands a little dirty with some code, particularly with Python, so that <clears throat> as your company, as your organization moves, you can leverage that skill. You would, you just, you can't go wrong by doing that. You just can't go wrong. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm going to give us a, a couple more questions real quick. Um, and these two seem to be hand in hand. So Severin asked, uh, would it be wrong to say it is a smart move for a network engineer to transform to cloud network or uh, cloud security, I believe is what they meant. And then Hassan asked how to become knowledgeable in both cloud and cybersecurity. So I think these two are hand in hand where is it a good move to transition to the job role and how would you do that? So I'm going to kick that over first to Brooks real quick. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the cool thing about it is it's not really a transition. It's not a move. You're just taking those same skills that you learned for on-prem and applying it in the cloud. Remember, cloud's a marketing term. That's all cloud is. It's a marketing term. It's just rented off space data center is all it is. All the same things apply. Now, there is an element that says, you know, no longer do I have to worry about the lower level stuff. You know, AWS, Azure, GCP, they're making sure, you know, people can't tap the wires and stuff like that. But the same skills that you have are critical when you go to the cloud. And in fact, they're more than critical because, and I forget who actually, let me see if I can scroll through here real quick and see. It was Roy said networking. No, yes, networking in the cloud still exists. But the problem is, is that people don't know how to do networking on prem they sure don't know how to do it in the cloud so what you're going to find is not that it's a transition that you have to make you're going to find it's actually just a migration of your skills to a different environment where they are critically needed i would agree mike yeah so um kind of an interesting question, right? I think that networking is also another specialty area, but I think it does make sense um, for you because like, if you're a network person, you're coming into the cloud, you're going to be helping people deal with, you know, connectivity where security is paramount, VPNs, all that kind of stuff. But I think the other interesting concept with this is that, you know, think about, do I just want to do networking? Where do I want my whole world in this cloud thing to expand? Because if you have a, a specialty in security, as well as the networking, that could really take you into a place where you might surprise yourself and be like, geez, man, there's this whole other area of platform security that I had no idea existed. This is really mm -hmm. cool. So I would say yes. And, um, and just think about that um, because both are a great specialty area to focus on. I mean, I think, I don't know about you guys, but every customer that I talk to always struggles with networking and same thing with security. I mean, yes. it's just really hard. I cannot tell you how many times I've given an IPv4 subnetting class <laughs> just from the hip right. out of Jack, necessity. I have, sat, I, I have sat in front of some of the you know top 100 fortune companies and I was just about to teach VPC and I'll be at a whiteboard and I'll say, hey, real quick, 192.168.0.0 slash 16. Can anybody in the room tell me what this is? And it's just nothing but dial tone. It's just 
like nobody can talk to me about it. So yeah, you have to slam on the brakes and teach 101. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's these sort of core skills that you can get in security and networking. They will transition very nicely to the cloud. So as far as, you know, do I make a transition to it? No, it's just a new set of skills you're going to pick up on top of a really strong core of what networking really is, what security already is or is on-prem. This is going to make you dynamite in the cloud. I would fully agree. You know, it's a um, it's, it's an adopting another technology and adding it to your uh your toolbox, if you will. It's kind of at one point, somebody taught me how to splice fiber cables, splice fiber cables. I don't know why that was difficult. Anyway, point being <laughs> the um, I haven't used the skill since I, I learned it when I was in the military for a brief second, never finished the certification. And you know, it's a skill that I know I understand it's in the toolbox. It, worst case scenario, I could pick it back up and use it again, but I'm not running fiber cables right now. Still really good to know the technology, though. Mm hmm. Exactly. So true. Yeah, I can totally relate to that, Jack. I've got so much perspective over my career that I might not be using today, mm -hmm. but it just helps to understand, um, you mm -hmm. know, something new comes out and like, oh, I got all this background knowledge. It really contributes to that. So yeah, well, so I agree with the way I came up is I started off as a in, in networking, you know, I was a systems administrator, then transferred into uh, network uh, administrator and then network security monitoring, which led to the network security analyst and so on and so forth. So I was very heavy at first in the Cisco and the, you know, the whole networking realm. Um, but I have found that when I transferred into instant response, security response, you know, all those investigations and things, having the perspective of an administrator to be able to pour some water on the fire of the instant response team and say, hey, 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 this is just a bad behavior coming from an administrator. This isn't necessarily immediately evil, right? Um, it, you know, we don't like to see a Hiren's boot disk on the system because that usually means someone's trying to pop the administrative password. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that the person doing it is doing it nefariously. It could just be an administrator doing things improperly, right? It doesn't always mean that the world is burning. So having that perspective, I think, is important when you talk about doing that merge over from one skill set to another. And I think that, you know, we like to think of technology as this straight line and this is just a single career path and where there's a dead end where we're all CISOs or architects. Realistically, <laughs> though, we, we, I think we know being around for a while now, it, it's a mesh. It's where mm -hmm. your interests are and it allows you to transition into those things every couple of years when you're bored. You know what? I'm kind of done with this. I have a friend of mine who just picked up out of instant response, moved over to the crypto realm because it was new to and interesting to him. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I got a buddy yeah. up the road. He's a he's a lawyer, a darn mm -hmm. lawyer. He's getting into cloud law. And it's absolutely bizarre that there's a whole field out there. So it doesn't matter if it's security, networking or, or law. There's so much space in the cloud where we're still filling in the spaces, even though this stuff has been around for a minute. We're still learning how to do this. We're still trying to figure this out. And and I, that, I guess, Mike, this is one of the things I wanted to ask you in your experience, because it almost seems to me like what cloud does is, is it brings out the things that we may not want to admit it we're doing wrong. It like casts mm -hmm. a light on it. It's something strange about that. 
It really does. That's a great point, Brooks. It exposes your weaknesses as a, a technologist and as a technology right. organization. Absolutely. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure coming from big tech, right? Look at Google. Mm -hmm. They invented Kubernetes and the way like everything is kind of moving towards. But most companies aren't Google from a culture perspective, right? So mm -hmm. that's kind of one thing. But um, I think that you both are spot on. I mean, letting things evolve and then being there for the opportunity moment and not being so married to like a destination, kind of like Jack said, it's not going to be mm -hmm. linear. It's going to unfold. And just getting right. in the game, being a practitioner and being open-minded to trying stuff might put you in a really interesting spot. So I'm glad yeah. you guys both touched on that because I think that, that that's why I'm most excited about this, right? Is because, mm -hmm. man, where's it going to head? Like, we don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and to be fair, worst case scenario, wait a couple months and things are going to change in the technology anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like exactly. you, you always have something to learn. That's right. Don't wait too long, right? It's going to keep changing on you anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Every time, you know, um, I was in the middle, I think one time of implementing an uh, IAM project. So identity and access management for those not familiar with the acronym, but I was in the middle of implementing an I, uh, identity and access management pro uh, project. And we were testing out a bunch of vendor solutions and everything else like that. And then all of a sudden AWS rolled out a built-in solution and it was like, Nope, that's the new answer. Guess what we're learning. <laughs> yep. right. That happens. I Make saw that happen a lot when I was at AWS. Startups building something that wasn't in the platform. The next yeah. thing you know, AWS creates it and it's part of you know just what you get for free. And uh, next thing you know, you're out of there. So you have to be very open-minded and ready to move in this industry for sure. But also don't let that paralyze you, right? Yeah. Oh, and on that point, Mike, something freaky about that. Um, the thing I've seen, because we talk about multi-cloud, hey, my voice cleared up. Um, something we've seen about multi-cloud is this. A lot of people want to go between different cloud providers. They want to use AWS, Azure, GCP, OCI, whoever. But, you know, they bring out that new service that's so cool. Like AWS has some new service or something like that. A, uh, Azure just came out with a cloud defender that, in fact, can read your AWS resources. They help you with compliance across different clouds. But it doesn't matter. Those fundamental security skills that you learn, again, for like doing things like getting your EJPT, they still apply. They're still relevant. Um, you know, I was thinking about when you guys were talking about um, something earlier. There was, you know, a lot of customers when you try to get that, you know, what we used to call in the DOD, the ATO, your um, authorization to operate. You had mm -hmm. to get that cyber package together. Um, mm -hmm. A really quick way to mess up your ATO is to make sure you don't have all the controls in place. And so you're looking at your controls and one of them can be like, what is the physical access? How do you guard to your servers. And that's where having that fundamental knowledge and going, okay, wait a minute, in the cloud, it's different, but I know how it works up there. And you can go get like those artifact documents from AWS. You can look at them and go, yes, mm -hmm. this absolutely meets the control that I need to get my ATO. That's a yeah. big deal. So mm -hmm. actually I used to work for the Marine Corps ATO office uh, right after I got out. And um, I will tell you that with the cloud adaption, they recently actually just added AWS as a cloud vendor in that control section for physical security because they were running into that issue where what's right. the physical controls? I, it's right. in the cloud, I don't know. You know, no, um, no, 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 no. See, that's the thing, because if you know security, if you understand that low level security, you can go into things and let me just name the service. It's called AWS. Uh, artifact and you mm -hmm. can go in and you can pull down those documents that AWS has the third you know uh, 
the attestation, the third party mm-hmm. uh, stuff, but it doesn't matter because you still need that core knowledge of why am I getting this? Well, it's because somebody could go in there and tap a wire. That's why. Yeah. And having that low level stuff makes, you know, this is a big deal. We need to have mm-hmm. this. Actually, I was doing a site visit once to an office space that was about uh, 200 people. And we were, um, we were implementing a tap to collect the network traffic to inspect and see if there was anything there that wasn't supposed to be, you know, which would be um, any type of unexpected presence, right? We gain access to this building, we go into the server room, we, we are installing a big server that has, you know, uh, about a couple terabytes worth of storage capability and can mm-hmm. pull all this network data off this line. Come to find out their entire building is reliant on one single cord that's plugged into the wall with no ups attached and it wow. goes directly to the DSL backbone. Wow. And we also got just access to the building. Like we're having to show IDs, we're having to show up in uniform to match our IDs and all this stuff with the secu- with the uh, local perimeter security. And that was all yeah. great. Yeah. But then they didn't even have an ups on their actual server for their entire, you know, hub. And I was like, if I yeah. unplug this right now, I like, if I'm pen testing you, you guys are done. Like just unplug this and denial of service yeah. because your power went out. We had an absolutely awful security of a review once at the front door. There was a big button that was the power cut in case of uh, mm-hmm. a case of like a fire or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, it every other place. You have the magnetic doors where you walk out, you hit the button right there on the side of the door. It releases the magneto and you can go out. We were under security audit, Jack, and somebody said, so y'all look pretty secure here, except you've got one problem. And they said, and we said, what? And he said, you don't have a covering over your shutoff valve or your shutoff button. And literally it was like time slowed down as this guy just started leaning back, leaning Mm. back, hit the button, all the power went down. And we realized, Mm. oh my goodness, as the temperature in there just started going through the roof. But again, even though AWS is supposed to be taking care of that, Having that security knowledge, understanding those sorts of things, that's what organizations need. That's what companies yeah. absolutely must have. And having that low-level knowledge, it's it's what it's all about. Well, I think it's that and also understanding and being, I, I call myself reasonably paranoid based on my background, my history, and the fact that I work yeah. in security. Yeah. I think of risk in a different way. And I constantly will go, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Let's talk about this or whatever else. But the reason is, is, you know, it's, it's part of my job and it has been part of my job for, you know, over a decade now and plus the military background and all these different transitions. And with that, mm-hmm. I think it is extremely reasonable to alter your mindset slightly to think as an adversary were. For example, um, one time we were taking a look at a, um, a you know, a, a working environment that had a door. It had a um, kind of like what you were describing with the metal door and, or the uh, magnetic locks, Brooks, where you would push a button to go in, uh, out and then you would um, use a key card to get in, a biometric right. card. Uh, I think that right. one had a, a fingerprint. Big glass door, really expensive looking. And, you know, it. the, the problem was that, that there was a proximity sensor and it was a double door. And they failed the physical security because we took a piece of paper and we put it right between the middle of those double glass doors that looked really fancy. <laughs> and we just wiggled it 
<laughs> and the proxi proximity sensor went off. We were able to get bypass wow. the uh, physical, and wow. I believe there was a biometric control. It's kind of ridiculous. Wow. So we should do an episode one of those someday. days where, say it again, Mike. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean, I thought you were done. I was just going to say we should do an episode someday of like IT horror stories because these are oh, awesome. Oh, yes, got please. Hey, that, yes, that's definitely please. something we can get scheduled. That would be uh, that would be some fun <laughs> ones. I'm just like, man, there's so much. <laughs> well, I, I think I think Brooks, Brooks is right here where, you know, if you understand the basics of what a threat is and what a risk analysis yeah. is, and you start yeah. able to just do that in your head as you go. Right. Yep. right. It's kind of like a professional baseball player. Right. He doesn't think about the mechanics of the swing whenever he's connecting with the ball that's been thrown at him. Right. They just mm -hmm. they do it. They just go through yeah, with it like muscle memory. Habitual. Exactly. You know, in, in, in one thing, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I got a little bit of latency. I apologize for keep cutting you off. No, no worries. No um, worries. One thing I just wanted to touch on that I've heard you say a couple of times just in this conversation today that I think is a key point is the, the soft skills aspect. You've mentioned a couple of times and not jumping to a conclusion is a security person right away. And I think that that is probably a skill that, you know, probably takes time to develop. But if you're thinking about it up front and, uh, and some of the other things you guys were saying to me were, um, kind of like that, where it's kind of like sidebar stuff where you, you know, you're not going to hear this from marketing necessarily, right? That mm -hmm. sometimes you can just kind of skate through or there's these social engineering things or there's cultural considerations as well. And so anyways, I just, um, that's what I love about the conversation today. You guys is, uh, you're not going to get all that from a book usually. So mm -hmm. this is good stuff. You know, I, uh, speaking of, I mean, I mean that whole cultural thing, man, unless you've lived it a little while, you just don't think about it. You it's, and when you run into it, it's absolutely shocking. I mean, I've, mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've worked with a, an organization where <clears throat> they had a, they had a security problem that was embedded in the culture. And what I mean is, is I stood in that, the front of that room and it was like a, a big company. And so all these people back here were coming to see me run my mouth about AWS. I literally could see like three different groups sitting there in the back left was the developers and the back right was another group. And in the front, there was a different group and it, you literally could see there was no interaction between it. And I had spoken, mm -hmm. it turns out the people in the back left, that was the security team. And I went to them and I said, y'all can't keep doing this because the developers are going to go to the cloud. They're going to start going a million miles an hour and it's going to be too late by the time they've deployed the asset, it's going to be way too late. Mm -hmm. And they don't know the things about security that they need to know from keeping to make them or keeping from making a mistake. You guys have got to go help them. So I think for a lot of people, if you're in security, if you're going into cloud security in particularly, realize you're there to help. You're a big mm -hmm. deal. Like we and we need you to help. So don't think of it as a negative thing. You need to be mm -hmm. there. It's desperately needed. Yeah, kind of like a clear throat. I, I would, I would fully agree with you, and I think that you know that that speaks more towards a positivity within the culture mm -hmm. of cybersecurity. That is mm -hmm. something that I'm also a big proponent of because it does nothing to punish a user if they click on a phishing link. It, it, you know, what ends up happening mm -hmm. is they don't tell you when they click on a phishing link. They try and hide mm -hmm. their mistake, so you're still compromised but you you just don't know about it you don't have the you know user self-reporting anymore same thing goes with the cloud technologies it does no good to isolate it does no good to not work with or to hinder communication between the teams it also does no good so one of the things uh, previously as well um that i have seen done is the um 
third-party security teams were able to talk directly with the developers and managers of the cloud instances bypassing incident response because, as you said, it moves globally at the speed of light. And so they need to talk to resolve the incident and they can't wait for politics or communication emails back and forth between a multitude of socks. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, just that's a great kind of wrapping up a lot of the stuff we talked about today, because the companies that are able to go fast in the future are going to be the ones that don't do that stuff because it's going to slow you down. Right. Um, it's just really fascinating. It's much different than things used to be when I was starting out in tech. I can tell you that. Wow, <laughs> and, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and the thing is, yeah. And the thing is, is that the district, again, that distribution between high performers and low performers is getting further apart and it's really freaky because if you look at the research studies where these companies are reporting on what are your capabilities for example how fast can you recover from a security incident there are companies mm -hmm. out there right now y'all that can recover in about an hour mm -hmm. and that's amazing there's other companies out there that are reporting it could take them up to a month and it has to do, do you know the basics? Are you automating? Do your security team know those extra skills? Like how can they implement things in code to get stuff done really fast? It's kind of a big deal. Really yeah, I used to be able to, um, when it came to response, I used to be able to isolate any user account within about 10 to 20 minutes because mm -hmm. we needed to be able to kill the sessions, reset the password and respond that quickly. And we found that that would at least limit and contain instance to just the standalone system right exactly and, and that's the thing jack that's where when you get to the cloud understanding what somehow these some of these cloud providers work in terms of their technology is is paramount because you may think well i need to create all this stuff that's going to isolate them where in aws it could be a single iam policy that you suddenly drop and mm -hmm. suddenly that user is excluded from everything you just do one yeah. thing and they're out knowing how to do that in the cloud is huge because obviously that's where everybody's going right now Mm -hmm. And it's not even necessarily that you configure it yourself. It's just knowing that that's something that needs or should be around as a security practitioner. And then you work with the individuals to get it coded as well. Right. There's actually a company I work with. Oh my gosh. It was the strangest company ever. Their office, it was in California. It was about 15 feet wide and it was 60 feet long. It was the weirdest company. Uh, yeah, wait, Mike, it gets worse. The bathroom was on the far end of the building and what the developers did, because they got tired of people getting up and going like, oh, it's, you know, there's people in there. They actually put a stop sign up that you could read all the way back, red, yellow, green. But what they did, for example, their security team literally had an IOT button that they could hit that would isolate their cloud if they thought something was really bad going on. Oh, wow. Think about that. I mean, it's they know the basics of security. They know the cloud infrastructure. They know something about, you know, how can we automate stuff like this in Python? They put it all together and they've got this amazing solution where everybody yells, oh, no, we're being attacked. Now we're not. Got the hard line. Exactly. <laughs> right. <a> hard line. <laughs> exactly. But the thing was, is right next to it was a green button. You could hit it and it would bring everything back up. Absolutely fantastic. I feel bad oh, wow. for bringing your child to work day because my kid would be going back and forth, back and forth. Back <laughs> and forth. It's like, why do we keep going up and down? Like, sorry, <laughs> that was my kid. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, we are coming to the top of the hour. So what I'm going to ask mm -hmm. of each of you real quick is call it 60 second out, out, outro. No, uh, 60 second last thoughts. So mm -hmm. I let's hear uh, the two big things that you wish companies did better in cloud security. Starting with you, Mike. 
Wow. Yeah. So the two things that I wish companies did better with cloud security, number one, educating their employees and giving their employees time to ramp up on that stuff. Um, this has been a good conversation for me today just to remember, you know, when you're not focusing on security, you will be exposed at some point. And I know that that happened to me early in my career when I was reading books on how to build apps, when the author wasn't thinking about security and neither was I. That's what happened to me. My apps got busted later. So I think the number one thing is training your teams. And then number two, have, you know, a cross-training conversation. If you've got people that are developers, architects, what have you networking, I would say have them cross-train in security as well. Because to this point of all these conversations in this episode today, you're going to need it at some point and the lack of perspective could get you. Yeah, I fully agree with that. So on to you, Brooks, the two things. What are the two things that you wish that companies were better at for cloud security? Well, first of all, my two are under the two Mike just said, because I can't say enough about that. That's that's exactly right. Education is huge. It's, it's, you're, they're going to make mistakes unless they've got the education to go, oh, that could be a mistake. But I think the thing to me more than anything is just get the 101 right. Just get the basics right. Because like, you know, like one of the questions I used to ask uh, folks was, who owns your account in AWS? Like, where's the credit card? What's the mail address that AWS is going to use to communicate with you? Um, are you using MFA? Do you have log centralization? Make sure you're doing the basics right. And there's a lot of tools built by these cloud providers, for example, AWS Inspector, that'll look at your account and let you know where you're making those mistakes and things like that. And finally, get your cyber team to go to the cloud, get them the education that they need so they can take those core skills they got. Maybe AWS has got something, maybe Azure's got something, maybe GCP's got something that's automated that can make things much, much faster, but it's going to take their insight to really let you know if that particular service really fits what you need to make sure that you've got your security vulnerabilities covered. Excellent. Excellent, Brooks. I appreciate it. Um, I, you know what? I will share my two as well. I'm going to say one, um, data asset management. It is an asset. It's what you run your business on. It's something that mm -hmm. you should definitely focus on and keep a record of. You should know where your data is and uh, you know, know how it's being used. And two, this one's really simple. Know how to respond. Plan out a yes. response strategy. Plan yeah. out how to isolate either accounts or credentials or permissions in some way, shape, or form and practice it on a dummy account. If you have yes. 2,000 instances up that are publicly available, websites, be it wherever or whatever, and there's backends tied into each or every one of them, you need to be able to shut one of them down without losing entire visibility across your entire network. So practice it. You know, it's you know, pra practice just in case oh. things go wrong. It's kind of like a fire drill. Dang it. That's such a good Love one, it. Jack. I feel like you stole it away from me. Have a game day. Have it. No, no, no. You got to finish strong, Brooks. That was a great finish. Like, that was yeah, a it great. was. That was. Have a game day. Game days are freaking awesome. Yeah. So cool. not, not, just a, yeah. not just a war table. Not just sitting down and talking mm -hmm. about it, but actually practice it and do mm -hmm. it in the blind on a random, once a quarter, randomly walk into the you know your cloud team and go, hey, this account, shut it down and just see Absolutely. how long the response time is. Yeah. By the way, just for everybody out there, that is a that is one of the fundamental ways you can check on your cloud maturity. Ask the question, mm -hmm. can we have a game day where we replicate our production environment someplace else with minimal effort on the part of the architects? If they go, mm, you have a problem. You've got a problem. You go. I mean, the automation is there. The security yeah. is there. You just got to make sure that the processes also back it all up.
Yeah. Oh, that was such a good one, Jack. Thank you for saying oh, that. Oh, thank man. you, guys. Well, Mike Brooks, thank you so much. As always, it is such a pleasure talking with you guys. I really enjoy the times that we get to spend together. And, uh, you know, I will be uh, talking with you later. Thank you again so much for your time and the value. See you thanks, later. Jack. Really enjoyed the talk. Yeah, thanks, guys. Excellent. So, guys, um, as we are coming to the end here on this INE Live, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for tuning in. And I want to remind you again, we are streaming live across the multiple social media platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. Plus, we've expanded to Pentester Academy and the Cloud Skills Communities. If you're part of those communities and you're new, uh, welcome again. This has been an INE Live. We'll we do these once a week as well as some special items sometimes on other days. So please make sure that you are subscribed, followed, whatever that button is to get the notifications and updates as we are going live or what we are planning on. Um, thank you so much for your time today. We definitely appreciate you coming here and we will talk to you later.